You're listening to the SLWB Speak Easy series, a podcast by Sri Lankans Without Borders, discussing Sri Lankan issues from the perspective of the different communities of Sri Lankan origin living in Canada. I am Romesh, and I am charged with introducing you to this episode. In this first episode of Speak Easy, SLWB is taking a moment to remember and commemorate the end of the civil war in Sri Lanka as a result of the military defeat of the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam. The end of the war was an emotional period for all communities in Sri Lanka and those identifying with these communities around the world. So a few friends of Sri Lankans Without Borders gathered to discuss this period of time and how their emotional reactions in that period still influenced their views about Sri Lanka till the present day. Some notes for the listener. The participants in this conversation were from the Sinhalese and Tamil communities in Canada. Each participant spoke in their personal capacity about their own personal experiences and not on behalf of their own community as a whole. Feel free to share your reactions to this episode on social media using hashtag SLWBRemembers. Now let's get into the conversation. So right now I'd like to ask you to revisit uh, May 2009. Um, where you each were at and we'll use that as a jumping off point for the rest of the conversation. So when uh, in 2009 I had just finished university and in you know throughout my entire life I felt like I was really away from the political um, environment that was happening both in Sri Lanka but also in the GTA. My family and I moved around a lot and we weren't really part of a Sri Lankan community, so it felt surreal to me. I was in North Bay learning French, so I was as far away from the entire situation as I could be. And anything that I that was brought to my attention was only what I would Google, you know, like war in Sri Lanka, and it's like a CNN page, and it really just gives you highlights and bullets of what's happening. So there's no community, so there's no community around you at all then, eh? There was a small community, um, but majority Sinhalese. Okay. So I think something that comes with being a majority and a privileged majority is that you don't necessarily talk about the discomfortable things that are happening to minorities. Um, it might not necessarily affect you, and so you kind of you celebrate New Year's Eve in April, but you don't talk about what's happening two weeks later in May, right? Um, so I think not being in the GTA really create uh, influence what I was exposed to and in my in my defense I only learned what was happening through mainstream media and mainstream media was very biased it was very filtered and um, I wasn't actively searching for other points of view because I was also young-ish and I kind of just took it for what it was it's only as I got older and I, I moved to Toronto and I met Tamils and I learned uh, about the history and became exposed to what was happening that I understood the injustices that happened and I think regardless of what the outcome was like you you have to understand that there was atrocities that happened and things that just shouldn't have happened that mm-hmm. um, Sinhalese people still might have a hard time accepting yeah. and, and in your defense even people in the GTA still didn't know what was happening. Yeah, well, what was your experience like? Still didn't know. They still didn't know what was happening. Not because the information wasn't there. The information was there. But they chose to avert their eyes to it or they chose to 
look at other information that suited their narrative more. Um, and that's one of the one of the things I felt was a constant issue throughout that period. There was a it was a huge propaganda war on both sides. Um, but in the midst of all that, there was real credible information coming out that supported the fact that we should all know today, I think, which is that there was some serious, serious human rights violations happening at that time by both sides that we all looked past and we didn't want to acknowledge. Um, and I think that's what the Tamil community had the biggest problem with was that these were credible sources coming forward and telling, telling you, trying to tell you what was happening in the North, in the Northeast. The type of carnage that was happening there. And because we didn't want to, certain people didn't want to acknowledge it, we turned our eyes away from it. And I remember one situation I was in around that time, I was in high school at the time, and um, I was at a wedding. And it was May 2009. This was the conversation on every Sri Lankan or diaspora member's mind. So the wedding I was at was a Singley's family friend's wedding. And I was sitting at a table with Singley's and Tamil people. And obviously, the conversation came around to this. And, and it got heated real quick. And, I, you know, me and uh, one of the other Tamil people that was sitting at that table was we're really just trying to cite facts, really trying to just say what was happening in Sri Lanka and trying to establish that this isn't a matter of opinion, really, even at that time. Now, more so, more so than ever, I think it's established that certain horrible things were happening at that time. But even then, there were credible sources, unbiased sources, um, from the mainstream media that were reporting on what was happening. Um, so we, I remember trying to speak to my family friend and try to tell her that these things are happening. This isn't, a, this isn't, at this point, it's not an opinion, it's fact. And she waved me away. She waved me away and she said, no, you're all brainwashed. You're all brainwashed. She said, no, you're, you tell people are all brainwashed. You guys just, you just, you guys are just making this up. And to hear that in the context of everything else that was happening in Sri Lanka, the, the sources we had this from weren't just media, it was family, it was family friends, we knew this was happening. For you to wave us away like that and just say we were brainwashed and just not acknowledge us because it didn't fit your narrative, it hurt. It hurt more so than hurt, it made me angry. I was angry I, I, to the point I actually had to be calmed down because <laughs> I was sweating, I was boiling. Um, and yeah, to me, to, at that point, even to this day, I still see that as a disregard for life, for Tamil lives at that time. For certain people, it was more important that the war end than it was to respect the dignity of life. And I think that's wrong, and that bothers me to this to this day. Yeah, I mean, well, what's interesting for me, just based on that discussion, was how quickly and how easily conversations turned from the things that were happening to the tactics of the protesters at the time. The focus turned away from the human rights violations to how protesters chose to disrupt mm -hmm. life in Toronto. The conversation changed from those atrocities to, oh, look at these protesters putting their kids and their wives on the front lines on the highway. 
and it turned to the symbols. What kind of symbols were they using to make their statements? And oh, yeah. that's how the conversation changed. And amongst Tamil people, and it became so easy to dismiss them because of the tactics that they used. But I don't think that was a Sinhalese thing as well. That it was wasn't. a Canadian government. And also a Tamil well. thing, a Sinhalese right. thing. So everyone. much You're that right. You're totally right. Because, like I said, I was in high school at that time. I remember that day after the gardener got t- taken over. Um, I was in homeroom biology. I come to class, sit down, and everyone's like, first off, let me say, I didn't go to a high school where there was talented people. I was the only talented person in my class. <laughs> that, oh my so, and I, and, I was too. Yeah, yeah, and not even talent. I went to a predominantly Italian school. No one knew or cared to know about what was happening. So everyone comes to school the next day, and they're like, God, you hear about what happened? people taking over the gardener it was a mother's day weekend so my, i remember my homeroom teacher was like yeah i was trying to go see my mom and the gardener was taking over I had a detour and everyone was just bitching and complaining about it and i was in tears because that day was actually like that the day that the town that town people took over the gardener was the biggest onslaught the biggest slaughter the biggest massacre of life of that whole period and that's why there was so much uproar and so much frustration and just that need to do something. That's why. And I was, I was losing it. And, I, and I, I, I spoke up in class and I'm like, you guys don't even know what we were protesting about. You guys don't even know. Like I, and I said, like, <laughs> because my class was Italian. I said, think about if your community in southern Italy, in Italy was being slaughtered by the government and you could do nothing about it. Would you just sit here and do nothing? And after that, it went silent. But it was upsetting. It was upsetting that we were trying to get a message across. We were trying to bring attention so that this would stop. That's all we wanted. All we wanted was this for, for this to stop, to just save lives, just save lives. And it was misconstrued as a big nuisance. Jumping off your point about symbols, right? Like, I just remember from my neck of the woods being, um, like, a Sinhalese Sri Lankan. Um, like, for us, this May 2009 was really the end of a series of events that started in November, in November December 2008. Um, and... So for us, we don't look at just May 2009. We look at stuff that was happening in November and December with the fall of Kivanochi and fall of um, other, um, I think that was, a, that was another junction that was very important. And so I just remember in my household and my relative's household, a feeling of like, not even fanfare, but just like, where we just have a feeling of anticipation, look, the war's gonna be over, it's gonna be great now. Um, and for a lot of, for, for the story we would tell ourselves is that this is a war that has really held back the Sri Lankan community and held back the economy. And now that, and once the war is over, things are going to start booming again. Right. And, um, it was really felt that, look, this war had just been a drain on the country's resources. It killed so many people's lives for three years and the fact for three decades and for a lot of Sinhalese, it's really, they take it as a sense of pride that 
they were doing something that a lot of people thought was impossible, namely to defeat the Tamil Tigers, right? Um, and a lot of people said that they could not be militarily defeated, go into the peace process, and that's why we did the peace process in 2001-2004. And not a lot of people really gave a lot of thought about the tactics that were being used and to make sure those tactics were in accordance with um, human rights. Problems. For us, the predominant concern was, let's get this war over done. That's what I was going to say. I mean, there's end no of the rules war. anymore, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Mentality. End of the war, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to end a war if you are intent enough on doing it at any cost. And it's easy to justify the results of a war when you're the winning side. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and, and I think, and, and again, that comes back to the point from from a lot of things what they would say is that there were multiple opportunities for the war to end through a ceasefire or through the laying down of arms which weren't taken and so for us our real big tent poles are look the tigers um, forcibly uh, didn't let civilians leave they took civilians with them when they were retreating um, they didn't let them leave of their own volition and that's the way we look at the set of facts after November. Now, of course, now we know that there's a whole bunch of other factors that are of concern, right? So, for instance, there's this idea of a no-fire zone, and um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the no-fire zone was, in fact, breached. Um, so, I mean, but regardless, the narrative that we as Sri Lankan community, Sinhalese community, look at the world is... Um, this was a war that was long past the point of um, ending and once the war ended let's finish it off and let's make sure and then we'll deal with the ramifications later and that's frankly I think a very good assessment of what the government power at the time thought mm-hmm. let's get this war over and done with right um, even though I think there were ceasefires in I believe April, uh, March or April of 2009 and, but coming back to your point of symbols a lot of Sinhalese people would not come to these protests simply because they didn't want to be associated with the tiger flag. But do right? do you really think? Uh, and I am actually asking: yeah. you, if there wasn't the flag, if there wasn't the symbols, would they would they have come out to the protests? Yeah. I would say no. I never had to face. I never had to think about like the Tamil perspective. I never thought about a Tamil person from the north who had to leave their house because their whole village was destroyed. Until I came to Canada and went to York University right. and like met face to face with like the TSA who was protesting about something, right? And even then, it still took me a while to be able to really empathize and understand and even really, really listen to the messages that were coming from them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that a lot of that goes back to the discomfort of like accepting that you are, you are privileged in a situation especially and, and especially when you're you're a diaspora immigrant right because when you're an immigrant you know everyone's on the same playing field you're not privileged you mm-hmm. go through all of these difficulties and then you have to come face to face with the realization that like in what in this one particular context which is the context that you should or want to identify with probably the most which is where you're from you are the privileged person and you have no idea what that less privileged group of people 
went through. Because even my Tamil friends in Sri Lanka were people of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. They were not, they were middle or upper class. They were not people like, you know, possibly your parents or possibly your grandparents who literally had to like leave their, you know, had to leave a, their home because they might die, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think that I don't, I like at that time, would I have gone to a protest with with or without LTT or ELO flags? Probably not, because personally at that time, I was still kind of trying to figure out my comfort and discomfort level. And I think that that's something that takes a certain level of reflection and it's easier to just say like, oh no, that's the LTT, like that's mm-hmm. a Tamil struggle, that's not, that's not part of something that I can, I can identify or agree with. Yeah. And, well, I, and I don't think that's any flaw of a majority group. I think that's the natural mindset and through time and knowledge and exposure to what's happening, like, you hope that you come out of that mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to address the symbol flag thing because I just I do feel like that's important to talk about because there is a lot of I think there is some misunderstanding about what they, that may have meant to certain people at that protest. Um, you know, for me personally, especially at that time, I could not identify with the Sri Lankan flag. I could not identify with it. It's a symbol of the state, and it's a symbol of the horrible actions the state was taking against my people, Tamil people, at that time, and I just couldn't. And I know a lot of people felt the same way. Was were there people at those at those protests that viewed it as support for the LTT? Yeah, probably. But there were also people that viewed that flag not as a symbol of the LTT, but as a symbol of the Tamil struggle as a symbol of the Tamil cause and just that was the reason it was there. Yeah, I think it I think it unintentionally had the result of isolating or excluding certain people, but that's what it was. I mean, I, there it's not unreasonable to me at all to see why a Tamil person at that protest couldn't feel that they could bring a Sri Lankan flag to that protest. In the absence of any other alternative, the closest thing that I think a lot of Tamil people could resonate with was that flag. Not as a reflection of the LTTE, but as a reflection of our struggle. What would have happened if a Sinhalese person showed up and showed um, solidarity with what was happening, but they held up a, a Sri Lankan flag? Uh, oh, but, I, but, I, but I know for a fact, I showed up at the protest and I was all beaten up. Oh, like, and it was, I was walking right through, I simply went to talk to somebody, then all of a sudden I was surrounded by people. Because you told them you were single Yeah, I said, like, look, can we just talk about, I just want to hear some perspective, and, I mean, like, look, I think the... Maybe not the right... Of course not. Sure, 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 but, sure, but I mean, like, look, and this is where, this is where it gets, this is where it does get complicated, right? Because there was... No, I'm interested. Here's this question: Do you think though that like the very fact that you that you thought it was okay to go to that protest at that time and even start a discussion with someone knowing that you're Sinhalese and they're Tamil, do you think that just that very action itself is a reflection of the privilege that you see? Had? I see. See, this is this, I, is, I, this is a total. No, no, like, sure. And this like, is where this is where 
I personally don't like the privilege discourse because I don't think it's as nuanced as it should be. And a lot of and a lot of the time I think the concepts are used willy nilly. But in that particular moment, I was literally in Toronto, May two thousand nine, just walking down the street. And I said, you know what, let's just talk to somebody. And literally, like, I then one Tamil um, elder gentleman just took me aside saying, look, leave right now, you'll get beaten up. And What did you want to say? It was more like, I just want to know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I've been involved with this for like, like a long time. Like, I mean, this was, this was before. So I had approached, I had done that conversation uh, right maybe like a week or two after I had done um, a speaker series with a very prominent Tamil professor in University of Windsor about the Sri Lankan issue. And so, and I mean, it wasn't a, hey, guess what, you're wrong, or any of that sort of like, look, like, I want to understand more about what you're trying to protest. And then the minute that I said I'm Sri Lankan, the dynamic changed. But that's what I mean, though, like, in that moment with all of, with all of the things that were happening, all of that emotion, like, I personally, like, I knew the protests were going on. My brother had had a lot of Tamil friends. He, my brother did go to a protest, but his friends were like, we're not going to tell anyone you're single because you'll probably get your face Right, absolutely right. And and I think that, I mean, just, but I think at the same token, like the fact that you were like comfortable to some degree to go and even have that discussion, does that, is that a reflection of like that quote-unquote single privilege? I don't know. I I don't, I like, what you're articulating is in direct tension of the argument that Singhalese people should come to should come to these events to remember, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that protest was a safe space, right? And it was a, well, not maybe maybe may, may not safe space, I but know, it, not at that time. Not, but but it was, but it, was, it, was it was a space when I'm not articulating myself very well. Um, it was a space in which it wasn't necessarily the appropriate time. And I only look at that now right, to right. have the discussion, exactly. right? And so I don't know. If it's about, I don't know if it's about privilege, but I think I do agree with you that about uh, time and a place, neither time nor the place. Yeah, I think it's so extra- make- privilege is at the core of this protest because even amongst Tamil people, among my parents and yeah. their circles, the concepts of geography, where you're from, sense of huge, place, huge, yes, yes, that yes, became yes. heightened during that time. If you're not from a certain place, well, just an awareness of where you're from, that dominated those conversations. Hmm. And I feel like there was a sense of superiority or even of shame. And for some people, a lot of town people, the, sy- the symbols that were on display were repugnant to them because they couldn't really? identify. They were repugnant. No, yeah. They were repugnant to a lot of people that I tell people that I know that tiger flag was repugnant and they were ashamed to walk to their office while the protests were going on because they couldn't identify because they were privileged. Right. They were necessarily privileged. They but didn't they, understand. But I think they should have identified yeah. not forget the symbols. Yeah. What they should, should have, have struck them was have, yeah. the severity, yeah. the disgust right. but again, like it was, what was happening. It was so easy to dismiss yeah. because it was so easy to dismiss. for them because of the yeah. tactics and that became the center point of the conversation. Yeah. Right. But then like an extension of that is if there's groups within the Tamil diaspora that felt alienated and couldn't align on what they were fighting against, like it made it that much difficult maybe for Sinhalese people as well. Like if you're if your brother went to the protest and he was told don't even say who you are, what your background is, because you'll get beaten up. 
then that the na- the natural thing is like let me just stay out of it. Right. Yeah. No, no, that might have been a single use mindset. And let me just stay out of it. And I you know, I, I get that now in hindsight now, mm-hmm. but I I I remember at the time thinking that part of the thing that really bothered me was the fact that Tamil people were the only people mm-hmm. speaking up on what was happening yeah. in Sri Lanka and I've just felt that every Sri Lankan if you call yourself Sri Lankan, should be disgusted by the fact that this is happening in your country and you're just letting it. You're not saying a um, word. You're letting it happen. And that's how I felt at the time. But, and you know, and but, right. and right. yeah, and yeah, now, right. you know, when I reflect on it now, obviously, it's that, that protest, that specific period was not an easy time for a Sinhalese person to come and join the dialogue because... Mm-hmm. I don't think how many people were interested in a dialogue. Not at that point. Not at that specific point. The the right. the, the circumstances were too severe for a dialogue. Right. We just wanted what was happening to end, to save lives. We didn't want to have a discussion. We didn't want to have some intellectual conversation. Um, so yeah, I think that may have cut a lot of people out of the conversation at that time, but. Amongst yeah. all communities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was necessary. Okay. Entirely necessary. I, I think that, to your point, part of the problem is likely the fact that before that point, there wasn't any reconciliation or any dialogue mm-hmm. happening between the Sinhalese and Tamil diaspora communities, let's just say, in the GTHA. Right? Mm-hmm. And like that is not the time to... That is the time when you're like, okay... Like if you, I'm assuming if you're a Tamil person, you're like, this is happening and nobody else cares. Like no, none of these other communities care, but like I need to do something. You know, that it wouldn't have been the time for a Sinhalese community or Sinhalese people to be, suddenly be like, hey, let's talk about this. But hopefully moving forward, you know, with podcasts like this and through the work that we do, we can move that discussion right. forward because if something messed up happens in Sri Lanka again and it might who knows the point is that we should as a diaspora at least be united in mm-hmm. in, in, in figuring out the basic right and wrong right yeah. there's always a basic right and wrong Absolutely, yeah. and those and our background or whatever privilege shouldn't separate us from, from being united on that I mean it's interesting because I think that this idea of being united, I think that for the large part, like look, I've, even today, these ideas, there's still major divisions between different communities. I mean, like this podcast in and of itself to bring different communities together to talk about it, it's pretty unique, right? And I mean, but to your point about like, where was everybody else? Like, well, the, like I, I, I use this analogy of like the pol- of a poker game, right? For a lot of Sri Lankans, they see this as the Tigers playing with chips that were not their own, right? And they paid a heavy price for it. And so I think that, and especially with people who are seeing these nationalists, who I do not identify with any means, um, they basically think that the Tigers made a bed, and now the Tamil community in the North and North, should lie in it. Which I think is ridiculous mm-hmm. um, by 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 all accounts, but at the end of the day, I think that that sort of sentiment is really prevalent in various aspects of 
the Sri Lankan the Sri Lankan political life, um, and, you, and you can see that even now. Um, so I want, so moving from that, I want to try and see where you think, like moving fast forward to today, um, where do you see the obviously the communities aren't necessarily moving forward together. Before we get sure, yeah. to that, because I, this is one of the things I do think is important to address in this podcast, I think this is perfect venue to talk about it, is that whole idea of the LTT making their bets, yeah. not the best bets maybe, not in all circumstances, and yeah. Tom Cooney having to pay the price for it. And uh, I, like, like, I don't speak for the whole town community. I don't. So, but uh, yeah, absolutely. And none of us are speaking for any of our communities, yeah. right? Like, so let's be very clear. But about I that. do think, as a member of this community, I can, I can say that there, there are, there are, there are members of the town community that don't condone every single action the LTT has taken blindly. We are aware of the facts. Just. We're aware of all the facts, even including the fact that Tamil Tigers have done some things that have been pre- prejudicial to their own community, to the Tamil community. That's one of the issues I've grappled with as a Tamil person, um, because I think, for me personally, I think a lot of people can say they feel the same way. I, I feel like I, I owe a certain level of respect to the Tigers. For, to the LTTE, not because of all the actions they've done, for the initial motive, the initial reason for their existence. You know, after the attempts at achieving a resolution through the political process, peaceful satyagrahas, attempts to resolve this through the established means and having no other alternative. And yeah, the LTT have established themselves as the predominant voice at that period through somewhat violent means. But for a lot of people, it was once they did that, that the Tamil cause, Tamil issues started to get recognition, started to get recognition as something that should be considered, that, that the Sri Lankan government, Sri Lankan community should consider. And again, I think for a lot of the Tamil community, that respect for that LTTE cause, that Tamil cause isn't at the higher levels it's not it's at the lower levels that's where my respect lies because there were so many people tamil people at that time that joined the cause because there was no other alternative no other option available to them really no other option and they saw this as the only way of making a life for their children for their families for their community in the future for them i have to give them my respect i can't remove myself from the from the idea that, you know, if it wasn't for just a little change of circumstances, that could be me in the Northeast. As a Tamil person, that could be me. I am privileged being here in as a member of the diaspora in Canada, speaking at this from a removed, at a certain distance. But that could have been me. And I, I, I just, I can't remove myself from that. Um, and there were people that felt that they needed to do something for the community at the time. That's where my respect lies. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note that that's where a lot of the Tamil community's respect lies. Not at the higher levels, but at the lower, pe- uh, lower levels. Brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles mm-hmm. that felt this was all they could do. 
I wholeheartedly agree with that for the sole reason in July 1983 in Colombo, no matter how much money you had as a Tamil person, you were running away from your house that was caught on fire, mm -hmm. no matter where you live. And I totally, whole, I totally agree with you that the majority of Tamil people can sympathize and support that initial fire that ignited that movement, mm -hmm. for sure. I can't mm -hmm. agree with yeah. everything that was done yeah. later on. I can't. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to things that have that the LTT has done that I don't think have benefited the Tamil community. I won't turn a blind eye to that, but I, I, I owe a certain level of respect to regular folk yeah. that felt that this was their only way. And I think that's the same thing with what how a lot of single people feel, or Sri Lanka people feel towards the army, right? Maybe not the army, but I think that's a sentiment that we feel about the end of the war. That yeah. it, ha it happened and it was very unfortunate the way that it escalated and the things that happened for it to end. But then there is a piece, a, 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 a weird sense of peace that the worst is over, now how do we make this better? Mm -hmm. How do we reconcile? How do we work with the different minorities to try and move forward? Um, yeah. and, but that that's still a similar mindset of sometimes there's a gray area in which you have to, tr like the trenches where you have to get into to try and move forward. Yeah, because I mean, I mean and it's, it's kind of like the idea that we, we, we accomplished hope at the expense of you be hopelessness, right? And I'm basically from the way I saw how things moved on, a lot of faith was placed in the tigers and once that faith was extinguished, there was no real options, right? Especially at that time. It was, and it's not even a connection you can make to faith in the tigers specifically, but it's just... And you know, I, at that time, I wasn't happy with a lot of the things the Tigers had done. I think they made a lot of, like I said, prejudicial decisions that weren't in the benefit of the town people. Right. But at that time, well, like, I remember- was fighting for you? Exactly, that's what I, at that time, I remember, it was frightening to me to think that them gone, with that government in place at that time, we had no hope, we would get trampled. They would take no. every opportunity to do so. That's how I felt, it was frightening. And yeah, so that doesn't connect to a support for the Tigers. You're right. Oh, I'm with you. It's it's everything is connected to a support for the Tamil cause. That's that's at the root. I mean, when you say Tamil cause, what is Tamil cause? Just just for the purpose of the audience. Well, for in my opinion, what I define that as is acknowledging Tamil people as as. It's equal and more than that, ta this Tamil people from Sri Lanka, from the island that is Sri Lanka, they do not have a connection to any other place. They do not mm. identify as being from Tamil Nadu. We are not, that is not the case. We are not from any other country. We want to be from this island and we want to acknowledge, want to be acknowledged as from this island. Mm. But when you do things like ban us, from singing an anthem in our language or commemorating things that have happened in this country like the end of the war those actions make it very hard for us to 
to want to integrate. To yeah, to integrate. Uh, 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 so, we are stakeholders in the future of the nation uh, because yeah. our lawyers, judges, point. doctors yeah. built yeah. that country yeah. just as much as any other single East person. Exactly. Regardless. Exactly. And we're everywhere. We're in mm-hmm. Point Pedro, mm-hmm. we're in Hamandoda, we're everywhere. Candy, mm-hmm. we're stakeholders just as much mm-hmm. as anyone Absolutely. else. Absolutely. And I just want to finish about the, the entirety of what, my, what I think Tamil causes. That's part of it. We want to be acknowledged as this island and this country, this government does not make it easy for Tamil people to do so. This, this doesn't mean, this. All, all it means is an acknowledgement that our language, our identity, all, our culture matters. Not in the context of any other country, this country. It matters. And just an acknowledgement and a respect and, and accommodating a place for that. There's this room. I feel like the way things are going right now, there's there's a lot of talk about wanting to, you know, make to to accommodate, you know, the town cause and town and issues that town people have raised historically for decades. But I, I, I haven't seen it in action yet. I haven't seen it in action yet. I just wanted to add that in either 2009 or 2010, I wrote a paper about. It's something about the Tamil and civilian struggle. It was mostly focused on, um, you know, the Tamil civilians who lived in the north. And my thesis, uh, my conclusion was that at the time, the quote-unquote war had ended, but the conflict was not resolved. Absolutely. Yeah. And just sitting here today, it's clear the conflict has not been resolved. And sometimes I think like. Yeah, like, it, you know, everybody says these things about the LTT and, like, the tactics that they use were sometimes very barbaric, but if they didn't exist, if they didn't get up and fight, what would have happened to Tamil people? Exactly. Would they have been, you know, would they have become, like, you know, ind- indigenous people in Canada who, like, now, mm-hmm. 150 years later, we're recognizing in Canada? like. Would they have been wiped out? Like what? Yeah. What for? For better or for what worse? Was, what would have happened? Exactly. Right? For right? better or for worse, the LTTE f- forced hmm. the government to consider and consider the possibility of making changes, like the Norway peace negotiations. I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for the force exerted on the government. What's at stake, I guess, in this conversation we're having right now? Um, and to go back to your point, is this idea of remembering Tamil civilians from the end of the war. Right now we have a situation where, or I guess in the past couple of weeks, where, Tam- where the Tamil community, the Sri Lankan Tamil community or the Tamil community, um, have been prevented at commemorating those that have passed away, civilian and otherwise, right? And I don't understand why necessarily that has happened. Right. So, for example, if my grandmother passed away, I should have the right under any set of circumstances to, to remember mm-hmm. Or like in Germany, they sh- should have the right for Jews to commemorate the Holocaust and to have a memorial and to acknowledge what happened. Right. I and think the criticism is the glorification of martyrs and that sort of cult of... That's what the but it's not. I don't but think the there's any. Is it's not more. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's any weight to that argument whatsoever. But I think that's the argument that's advanced that they are going to use this as an opportunity to glorify but then martyrs the, in some war. But then the question becomes: When can they commemorate? Commemorate, 
right? Like, like this whole, I mean, this idea that they shouldn't, I don't, like November's, November's out of the question because of Mother's Day, I think is in November for you guys. Um, there needs to be a time. I agree. And there needs to be a place, mm-hmm. and there needs to be the same way that um, the Sri Lankan communities have their own set of state-sanctioned memorials for their dead. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a place for the Tamil community to remember those that have passed away, particularly at the end of the war. And to grieve. But even before. Isn't there grieve, grieving right? is a huge part of in, in Canada, isn't there? It's Tamil Heritage Month. Tamil Heritage. The difference between a country like Germany who does acknowledge their past, that does acknowledge mm-hmm. the horrible things that have happened in their country, is that they don't deny it. That's the difference. Sri Lanka continues to deny. But what about eight years after World War II in Germany? We don't actually know what the political stance was. We're, we're saying that now, 60, 70 years after World War II. A hundred years after World War Two. You've also got to be careful with comparing well, apples to. You've also got to be. You we're also, not comparing it, but I'm just saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not relative to time. That's too, true. That's true. That well, considering time, the comparison isn't apples to apples. But, but they should. But they should, and I think the reason it hasn't is because there's still at this point in time a denial to acknowledge what actually happened, the severity of what happened at the time. And, and it, it's not viewed as, at least in the eyes of the courts, based on what they've decided, that they've decided it's not, it's not reasonable or it's not acceptable for town people to acknowledge the loss of life that happened at the time. That implicitly says that, that they don't accept the severity of what happened at that time. And by extension, I know ju- the judiciary and the government are supposed to be independent, but, but by extension, that extends to the government. The government also doesn't accept the severity of what happened at that time. Then you're admitting, you're admitting to something that you might not have fully come around to accepting. Mm-hmm. I understand that like a lot of countries like Germany and Canada and USA and Britain have already gone through their like horrific genocidal times and come out. Right? Like, I understand that there's like a historical mm. period in between that. However, we do live in a time now where we have a lot more access to information. Right? We do live in, we live in a globalized world. Like, I do think that there is a significant difference between Germany post-World War II and Sri Lanka and the diaspora sure, sure, right sure. now. Sure, mm-hmm. but, but I mean, like, look, I mean, the reason why I say apples to apples aren't oranges is that there are atrocities that have happened in the Far East. India, Pakistan, like... It's still happening. That's, yeah, that's, that's still happening, but even stuff that's happened like 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like even right now, Japan and I think Japan and China, they still have, they're still in fights about um, the geisha or whatever it is. Um, for whatever reason, there isn't as much of an... Like these wounds are festering in Asia for whatever reason, I don't understand why. Um, but... At the same point in time, I mean, coming back to this whole lot of memorization, um, it speaks to some of the community divides, right? Like, for example, a lot of, you don't see a lot of the Sri Lankan community really saying, like, look, yeah, the Tamil community in the north should have um, an opportunity for their to mourn and to remember that Lawa had passed away, regardless of whether it be civilian or fighters. Whereas comparatively, people in the South, they have this War Heroes Day, etc. And it's important to note as well that last year, this time was actually called a Remembrance Day. 
like by the Sri Lankan government, and it's and it is unfortunate that the terminology has changed. Uh, do you want? To, yeah. I, I do want to just address one other thing that I, said, sure. I think is important to talk about in the context of what happened eight years ago yeah. now was the use of the term genocide. Because or I the think lack that, of the use of the word genocide. Well, yeah, maybe, or you know, no, actually, no. The, the use of the term, the use of the term, because I think that was a term that was used to describe what was happening in in the northeast at that time. And I know, I know, a lot of people took issue with that. It's like, is it really a genocide? I don't know. Probably not. And you know, that probably feeds into the whole denial of what actually happened. From how I view it. You know, I remember thinking at the time myself as a Tamil person, I remember thinking, genocide, is it, is it by definition a genocide? I don't know. You know, when I think comparatively to things like the Holocaust, was it genocide in that matter? In that manner, I don't know. But now, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if it fits that technical def definition of genocide. How I see it now, how I saw it then, this is... What happened was a total disregard for human life, for the dignity of Tamil lives. It was, a, it was recklessness and it was negligence. In the law, it would be called strict liability. That's what it would be called. And in, in making that connection, it might as well have been genocide. We don't need to stick to technical je definitions. A lot of Tamil people at that time even now, weren't, they weren't looking up the definition and saying, oh, well, I guess this fits the definition. No, based on what was happening, based on the actions of the government, the military at that time, this was recklessness and negligence to an extent, it might as well have been genocide. That may have disenfranchised certain people from connecting with what Tom Kimby was saying, but I, I just want to explain that use of the term at that time because it's one thing to it's it's you know it, again i know this isn't apples to apples but if we were to compare this to the holocaust situation which was clearly a genocide it was a systematic elimination of yeah lives. absolutely but i think what happened in sri lanka and i think a lot of times same feel the same way was a much more subtle way of, yeah, maybe the main objective was to end the war, but it came at such a severe cost that the government, military, was willing to incur. I think that, and again, this is not my personal opinion, I think that the counter-argument to that, which is possibly, may or may not be an argument, is that people who live, Tamils who live in other parts of the country weren't necessarily being targeted. And I think that that is why people are like, oh, well, it's not a genocide because not every single Tamil person was being targeted. Right. Yeah. And I think this goes back to what was mentioned before that, you know, Sri Lanka is complex in the sense that it's it, not yeah. divided along simply It's not just no, economic. No, it's not. No, it's, it's economic. It's economic. It's so big. In Canada, exactly. Even in the, well. even in the exactly. it's, it's absolutely not definitely. accurate to say no. that it's divided it's strictly along no, ethnic right. lines. It's regional. It's, it's regional. Demographic. Yeah. School, everything. So, and in that sense, yes, absolutely. The Tamils in the Northeast I, I do think have always had a different 
like other people in other parts of Sri Lanka and other Sri Lankans and Tamils have always regarded them differently, I, I think. Yeah. 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 And I think a difficult thing to wrap your head around is, um, you know, when you use the word genocide, it does seem like one group against another group. And when the LTTE, LTTE, right? Um, when the news was coming up that they were also using, they were taking advantage of the Tamil civilians too, and they were putting their mm-hmm. those lives in, je- in jeopardy. It's, it doesn't ever belittle Tamil lives, mm-hmm. but it was like, wow, they were doing this to their own people too, mm-hmm. to some extent. And it, it's not a genocide of just the military or the government now mm-hmm. attacking a certain group. It's on a whole, the entire, culture, identity, and the preservation of Tamil identity was being attacked from both sides. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, so so I'm just very curious about this point, like why does the term genocide matter so much? As opposed to let's say crimes against humanity or, yeah. um, or war crimes or negligent or negligent total disregard of humanity, why does the term genocide matter so much? In my opinion, I think it ties back to the whole disinformation and the propaganda that was that was spread at that time by the government, by the administration at that time. I think if you look at the actions that were taken, they weren't explicit. They weren't explicit. They weren't explicit policies that said, hey, we're going to do this, this, this. They were implicit, they were subtle, and, right. and the use of the term genocide, I, in my opinion, I think it was a way of calling out what was implicitly and subtly occurring, what was in, mm-hmm. implicitly and subtly put in place. It carries a certain weight that directly correlates the culpability that the government, right. of the government, mm-hmm. right, but it carries that weight that any other term does not carry, right. that I mean, directs related uh, to their responsibility. And, and, and I think that's where folks in the Sri Lanka community and I and I put, would generally put myself into a non-genocide camp. Um, the way we look at the conflict is saying, and I'm not saying that my view of the conflict is authoritative, um, I do think that there were a lot of lives lost. I can't put a number on it, but whether it be 7,000, 40,000, 150,000, whatever the number is, a lot of lives were lost, right? Um, Regardless of the perpetrators? And uh, I think we can't, uh, the no, numbers do make a difference because yeah. the numbers weigh right. heavily on one side right. no, 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 and amongst a certain demographic. No, no, no. So numbers do matter. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, so when I, when I say numbers, I mean Tamil civil. Like, I don't even say civilians, like Tamils, right? Whether it be civilians or uh, fighters, right? Um, but I do think, so, so for example, um, the white flag incident where um, there was a group of surrender of t- uh, t- tiger leaderships who surrendered, um, and they were found killed afterwards. Um, this was after they were surrendering, so it's after the war had ended. Um, that would be classified as a war crime, right? Um, and both the uh, Lesson Learned and Reconciliation Commission, the Paranormal Commission, have both stated that this should look for more judicial inquiry. Mm-hmm. Right, so this is not a disputed piece. Um, so there's, I'm taking, for example, that piece where there's already findings saying that this should be investigated further mm-hmm. versus this idea of like investigate really systemic crimes. And maybe, and maybe if, 
maybe it's, maybe it's a terminal. I just want to understand why. So is it? But I don't know if I don't genocide the the crime of genocide. I don't know if it's strict liability. It is strict liability crime. There's a very particular element of the crime laid out in the Rome, under the Roman statute. Um, I'm not saying that's how I think a lot of right. the Tamil community viewed it. It doesn't, it, it really, it really, when you consider the loss of life, it doesn't matter the right. intent and of that, the government. That's, right, that's it doesn't what, that's, matter right. the intent. It's the practical effect. It's right. the practical yeah, so effect. It's, it's, yeah. and, and also, I just one other thing I want to mention is that it's not confined to the time and space of what, of May 2009. Right. This extends far yeah. back to the things that have been that have been happening, that actually continue to be happening to specifically Tam Kumi. Charges of sexual assault and abuse and illegal detention and right. things of that this nature. This, all these things have added to why the Tamil community right. deems that. I understand that aspect of the argument, right? Yeah. But the way that the, f- the phrase was framed at least at that point in time at the end of the war I think a lot of people in Sri Lanka says this does not make sense to us mm-hmm. right but if you're taking a longer term period I think then it may the, there's there's little cogency to the argument yeah you know right? what I, I kind of find it somehow a little bit comparable to if you know and even where the Black Lives Matter movement one of the leaders um, had mentioned that in a protest, she had said that Justin Trudeau is a white supremacist. Right. It's a hyper, it's somewhat of a hyperbolic statement. If you actually take the time to sit there and dissect it and explain it, there there might actually be some weight to it there. But and 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 in that way, I somehow see it comparable to this. If I, if you right. actually sat down with someone and explained the various reasons why people see this as not just a horrible horrible incident, not an incident. This was. Systematic <laughs> and over a long term, right. deliberate, deliberate in every sense of the sure, word. But, deliberate, but, but, but when it comes to the UN Commission, it doesn't go back that far, right? That, I guess that's I guess that's all I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? Like the way that I understand, I mean, I, I understand what the argument is, um, and I think that what the Tamil community really wants, they want language that really reflects some of um, the, emotional, the emotional turmoil that they've undergone as a community for four or five decades. And I think that's, and, and the word genocide may closely reflect that emotional turmoil. Would that be accurate? Is that? That's somewhat accurate, but I still do think it's an acknowledgement and a, an, a, an attempt okay. to explicitly call out what has subtly, implicitly been implemented by the government over the past several decades yeah. yeah it's it's it hasn't been in ways that that a UN Commission could look at and say yeah right. this is genocide this also goes to a, a conversation about who is defining these terms who yeah. is defining what genocide is who is defining what terrorism is you know sure. by I think by a lot of town people d- definition they look at the actions of the Sri Lanka government and military they would view them as as, a, as state terrorism but it's not behind it, it's it's only in the hands of a government to make that definition. Sure. It's only in the hands of the majority, right? Maybe it's because I'm looking at this from legalized, and I look at when you look at the crimes and actus reus and mens reus, I'm so I'm looking at it from that lens, and so I am 
more critical when, and I guess just the way that I've been trained, mm -hmm. when people use legal language a little bit too flexible. And that's, really, and, that's, and that's the reason why I'm, I guess I'm pushing back a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I guess you are right. You, know, you are right in the sense I that... No, no, no. Yeah, all right. No, but no, I, no, a, lot of, no. a lot of what that legal reconciliation is is weighing those definitions with what the practical oh, effects uh, oh, and, and, and that weighing there's a whole yeah. there's a whole set of discourse yeah. about how does do can you have reconciliation using legal means? Like this is yeah. this goes back to the Truth and Justice Commission and how how efficient those mechanisms are. Do you need to have accountability processes? I mean, there's a whole discourse around yeah. this, right? Um, so, but I think the wrong foot to start on is denying oh, the use of a term that has carries some significance to a community and denying them to frame an experience according to their own terms. Sure, they, sure, you can, you, 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 sure, you can, look, look, yeah. communities can frame terms that I don't want to yeah. look like you have singles nationalists saying yeah. that they should be justified in keeping Sri Lanka single lease, yeah. right? Doesn't mean that they're justified in saying that rhetoric. Right, like the red, like like my my criticisms go both ways. I don't like like I don't like how um, both communities use rhetoric to advance position when the rhetoric has no sub no substance. And, and I don't and what I don't mean to say is that there has been no emotional trauma in the town community that does not equate to genocide. Right, I personally don't think it's genocide, but then again, I'm not a I'm not an expert, right? I'm just saying from my own opinion, mm. from where I sit now with information that I've seen so far, I don't think it is, but I'm happy proven wrong, right? I just think that if, sorry, and not to like yeah. harp on this point, but like if that particular group of people who lived in that particular area, the Northeast, were not Tamil, let's say they were, I don't know, white blinds. Let's sure. say that was the name of their community, white right? Blinds. Okay, and let's say that this particular community of people had been, you know, under sort of this, lived in this area where there was this terrorist, quote unquote, terrorist organization, and then also the government, and then at the end of this fight between the government and this terrorist group, quote unquote, terrorist group, these people would use the collateral damage. Everybody else would say that's genocide against the white blind people, but the I'm, people of the white blind. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're, ta they would, call Tamils, okay, they were Tamils, oh. and there are other Tamils in other parts of the country and all, all of that stuff. That, I think that is what is preventing people mm. from looking at yeah. that specific group of sure. people yeah. and yeah. associating the word genocide with no, them, whereas I don't necessarily think it's true. I the mean, funniest part is they may not even have much no, in no, common no. with Tamil people living in other exactly. parts of the country. Well, that's, well, that's the funniest that's part. That's the funniest part. They really might have nothing in common. Other right. than the language. But if that's the case, yeah. then how do you, then what are the terms of the community, right? Like, that's the, this is where the legal piece comes in, right? How do you define the community? How do you find the community, the destruction of a community? And all of that line, and all of that discourse, right? Um, but, but I know, but, but again... But the problem that's what is is that if you as a majority are defining terms based on your experience, you're not letting the minority speak. You're not letting them be able to justify what they went through. And now it becomes a systematic issue. But, we don't, but we don't define the terms. Like, I, and I want to be very clear. I don't think it's a single-use community defining the terms. I think, or at least I don't think so. I could be wrong. 
right? The, the, the community that's We defined. may not define what genocide is, but there is a global push to understand that atrocities happen in, in Sri Lanka yeah. during the that, war that, and that they're terming it. At, like the UN has actually called it a genocide. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. So that's, so, so that's the reason why it's very, very... You've got to be very careful with language because the UN has not classified it as genocide. I just read an article about it based in 2013. No. The UN has not classified it as genocide. They call, they've, called, they've called it everything but. That's see, this language. is... This no, no, no. no I got it. See, yeah, and this is... See, and this is where... And, and, this is, and this is where... So, and this is actually really interesting to do on the podcast. I became super defensive. Yeah, you did. <laughs> So you're right. Okay, so I mean, for me, my first visceral reaction was, no, it's not genocide, it's camping, it's camping, camping, camping. Right? You single Yeah, I know. <laughs> single is an awful human being. Um, but I don't, but, and I could be wrong, right? So maybe the UN has classified as genocide and I haven't heard about it. But yeah. here's my but thing, like here's my thing. Blame, right? I don't care what the UN has to say. And a lot of time community doesn't you who is who the hell is the UN? Seriously, who the hell is the UN? I don't care what the UN has to say. They haven't really been the best judges of what's happening in the world, unfortunately. So I, if this that's the thing with terms like genocide and terrorism, they those terms for some reason have been deemed to need to come from some sort of like you, like you need to kill five thousand people yeah, and yeah, not five hundred yeah. to be a terrorist, and, and from that, that's how you can be the advocate for change, right? Because you know the UN requires state members that are governments. That's probably the reason why Sri Lanka hasn't been classified as a state terrorist to this day. So I, I'm sure if the UN didn't exist and there there was some sort of community body, they would be, but. Yeah, so that's why, you know, I'm, my point is, yeah. I, I, if, we're, if we're going by what official global bodies have said, that's not a good judge of what's actually happening. That's not a good evaluation of what's actually happening. Um, maybe let's uh, focus a little bit about where the different communities sit right now and what you see moving forward. So, for me, as a, as a Tamil person, you know, I, I, like I said, I've, like I've said before, I, I can't speak for the whole Tamil community. I really can. There are a number of diverse opinions among the Tamil community itself. I can only speak for myself. The way I, I see it is, you know, I am optimistic. I want to be able to reach a point where I can proudly say that I am Sri Lankan. As it stands now, if, some, if someone asks me what I am, I will proudly, I'll shout from the mountaintops that I am Tamil. Absolutely. But if someone asks me where I'm from, I, I do have a sense of guilt when I say I'm from Sri Lanka. Because I'm, I, it's hard for me to proudly say that I'm from Sri Lanka. It's hard for me to proudly say that when this country, that country isn't necessarily very proud of me. You know, hasn't embraced my identity, my language, my culture. And our, our right, our our desire to be included and acknowledged as part of that island, that's, that is at the root of all of this. That's what has been wanted for the past decades, past few decades, in my opinion. So it's hard for me to do that. Um, you know, for me personally, I have had a few encounters with people where it's led to a few arguments because 
you know, for example, the past election, I wanted to support the political process because, you know, when Sirsena was voted in, he did win with an overwhelming, overwhelming Tamil vote. And me being here in Canada, I don't feel like it's my position to undermine the voice of Tamil people back home. If this is what they wanted, I, I feel like I need to respect that. So, you know, when protests were happening in England, and I think in Canada too, when he was elected, um, I had a problem with that because I didn't think it was my place to say. At the end of the day, I think a long-term solution inevitably has to come through the political process, through a process that has been democratically voted in with the consensus of the whole country. That's what I want to see. That isn't the reality right now. I hope, I really do hope and pray for a point where I can proudly say that I'm Sri Lankan because, like I said, I am proud to be from that island. I don't identify as anywhere else. I am from that island. And I would like to reach a point where I can probably say that I am Sri Lankan Tamil. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting you just mentioned that. Um, and I grapple with many of the same things you do as a Tamil person. But for me, I always identify first as a Sri Lankan and second as a Tamil person. Only because I feel like that kind of sense of place, has it's very personal and has a lot to do with each family's history. But both my grandfathers were civil servants and they spent their whole lives building the infrastructures, the institutions that has made Sri Lanka what it is today. And so I always identify first as a Sri Lankan. And this is sort of superficial, but it's, and it's a lot of it's anecdotal. But what I've noticed now is a lot of my relatives and a lot of the Tamil people I know, for the first time in a long time, they're able to go back to Sri Lanka and enjoy the country for what it is, the people, not totally depoliticizing everything. They're able to go and enjoy the natural beauty of what Sri Lanka is, the genuine, you know, the warm treatment you'll receive mm -hmm. as a Tamil person, even in a single area in many circumstances. That's true. Yeah. Um, and to me, that gives me some sense of hope that through this political process, that people can understand that there's a common identity mm -hmm. there. It makes you wonder what, you know, the Sinhalese can do. We don't represent the government. You know, the, rep the government itself is a very exclusive group of people who, no matter how much they say that they're democracy, go ahead and make choices for their own well-being and for their own economic and political reasons. So, you know, from one group to another, what can we do to help you guys? What can we do to, to move forward? Mm -hmm. You know, the way I see it is, I think... The only way the government is going to make a change, a positive step in the right direction is if they know that this is something that the majority wants, that and the majority is the Sinhalese community, that they want. Because like any democracy, really it comes down to votes. Mm -hmm. It comes 100%. down to the electoral, yeah. the electorate. Yeah. So if they know that this is what's going to get them votes, they will make that change. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to this very special conversation about what clearly was a deeply personal experience for the participants. SLWB thanks them for taking the time to share their experiences. So what are your thoughts? How did you feel about the Sri Lankan civil war ending in May 2009? What were you and your communities experiencing in the months leading up to May 2009 and afterwards? 
How do you think the communities in Sri Lanka should move forward? Share your experiences and thoughts on social media using hashtag SLWBRemembers. For more about SLWB, visit www.slwb.ca. Till next time, bye guys.